dump cake. You know what that is? You just dump stuff in there. It's got coconut. There's, they dump, I don't know, they dump all kinds of stuff in it. It's really good. A lot happening this week uh, in our nation in Israel. I, I was almost brought my little is my my flag, my Israel really flag up. But we're excited about the the uh, uh, embassy being moved from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. It really d- is important. Uh, when I've been to Israel twice, our hotel is actually right down the street from the building that they moved into, and we've seen it. There's there's always been American flag flying there, but it's kind of closed and gated. But it's exciting for the nation of Israel. Seventy years a nation, and now they have their embassy in their capital. It's huge for the people of Israel, and I'm so glad our president has made that move, even though he's taken a lot of flack for it. He's done the right thing, and I'm I'm grateful. Again, we've studied in Genesis. You you bless Israel's people. You bless God's people, and what God will do what to you? He'll bless you. That's the promise. And I, it's so important for our nation to support Israel and do that. And I'm glad that our president has stood up and done that. Um, on, a, on another front here locally, we've had, uh, going through our, our current legislator, are these laws, uh, that AB 29. What is it? I think I have a fl- uh, PowerPoint slide on it here, that little slide that is at the bottom I looked at earlier. Can you put that up for me? There it is right there. It's this law, AB 2943, that, that will um, outlaw pastors, counselors from, from saying anything negative to a homosexual. It'll outlaw in the state of California your pastor from standing in the pulpit and publicly declaring that along with adultery that homosexual is sin. You know that I'm very careful about that. I think we need to be very careful. Sin is sin. But both of those are sin, and, and it's, it's supposedly going to outlaw me from doing that. So what I've done uh, as your leader here, I've sent a letter and a Bible to the five senators that, that are really the swing votes. So this week we're sending a letter and a Bible to them. And so we just need to pray for our nation, folks. We need to pray. A, a big important vote's coming up here, the primary and then, and then the, the uh, well, the the vote in June, and then the primary in November. So important for you to engage, to uh, let your light shine in that way, um, and vote for those that will do these kinds of things. Stand up for uh, Israel, stand up for life, stand up for these things that are true, and then turn away these laws that are just outrageous. They're squelching the freedom of speech of all believers. We need to stand up Christians. So uh, one other thing that I'm going to ask that we pray for tonight is... um, uh, Calvary Chapel Hilo, uh, the pastor there, Ron Bra, called me today. And as you know on the news, you're seeing all of this explosions and volcano eruptions. There's 20 fissures that have opened up. I mean, the earth is actually opening up and spewing out all kinds of stuff. The big lava flow going into the water, have you seen that? That lava flow, that massive lava flow that's just flowing into the ocean. Um, but uh, there on the island, uh, Ron is working with other pastors the Mormons have really kind of moved in in a big way, and uh, they have, have, have a big influence there in the Hawaiian Islands. But they've moved in there, and a lot of the, the evangelical churches have kind of bowed down, and Ron wants to kind of stand up and go into the shelter. He wants to do some ministry, taking Bibles in there, but he really needs resources, so I've already committed some things to him. I haven't done anything yet, but he said, wait, wait, just wait. I'll let you know later. But Ron is praying for the people. There's starting to be this panic happening there. 
because those fissures are opening up closer and closer toward the, the city in Hilo. He said there's people that have actually left the island. And he goes, it's really weird. The pe- there's people in shelters, and he wants to minister to those people. And then there's the people from the mainland that are golfing on, ho- on Hilo, you know, with the sulfur fumes going across the fairways, you know, and the, the, the eruption in the background, they're golfing. He said, it's really an odd sight right now, but he's asking that we as a church pray for them and pray for him because he wants to get in there and minister the gospel and give out Bibles and, and minister to the people that are really, they're in fear right now. So we need to pray for them as well. And we'll do that when we uh, pray. So those, those important things I wanted to mention tonight. But uh, with your Bibles, I ask that you open them to Exodus chapter 20. We're in a mini-series here in this book of Exodus that I call, I call it Stone Text Messages from God. Because that's really what it is. You know, God's writing in stone his, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, these uh, ten laws that are governing his people, this new nation that he's just created. Uh, he's called them out of sin, out of Egypt. He's separated them in the desert. He's cleansing them, and, and now he's going to give them new laws because he wants them to be the, uh, the, the light to the nations. Israel has always been, in the Scriptures, the light to the nations, and God has always wanted to demonstrate his grace through the people of Israel. We as Gentiles have been grafted in because of Christ. If you've read Romans, if you understand the scriptures, we, as Gentiles, the church is the mystery, the, the Jew and the Gentile that come together and to make the, this new entity called the church. And wonderfully created by God, people from all different backgrounds coming together, worshiping God. And so we're learning now about this foundation back in the Old Testament, written by Moses, the author, but inspired by the Holy Spirit, these Ten Commandments. Now, we began a few weeks ago, and I answered the question as we overviewed the Ten Commandments. The question was, what's the purpose of the laws? Why have them? And I answered that with this answer, and that was the laws, the laws that were given were never given to produce salvation. They were given so that you, the reader, so me, the sinner, could read the laws and see that I do not measure up to God's holiness. The laws are only there to indicate that I'm a lawbreaker. That's why the laws are there. And they really, as we look at them and say, they point to Jesus Christ, the Savior. Apart from God intervening in time and space, you could not save yourself. You can't save yourself. You can't do enough religious works. You can't pray enough. You can't uh, go to church enough to save yourself. The only way that man can be saved is for God to intervene because we're corrupted to the core. We're wicked. We're evil. And God, in his mercy and in his grace, has sent his son. So the law, the law really points to Jesus Christ, the Savior, right? And we'll see that as we go through these. And I've decided to take one a week because I really think these are important for us to learn. Now, we learned last week, the first one, it's really the key. The first one is all about God's demand to be first. No other gods before me. That's the first commandment. And it'd be really important for you to memorize these. You can memorize. I'm giving short words to each one, so I think they'll help you to memorize. But the first one, no other gods before me, and it really is the key to all the other ones. In other words, God demands to be first. That's his first uh, requirement. 
It's there in verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. That means that God isn't the chief thing. He is everything. I hope that you understand that. That God is to be first before everything in your life, before your spouse, before your kids, before your hobbies, before everything. God is to be first in everything, first before every relationship and every pursuit in your life. And so God is indicating in that first command that he desires an exclusive and personal relationship with you. There's some real beauty to these commands. Remember I told you at the very beginning that the negative part of the command is a blessing for the the one that obeys. Every command is meant for your good, for our good. So we should see them in a positive light, even though they say, thou shall not. They're seen in a positive way. This first commandment is that God wants to have this exclusive relationship. No other gods before me. I, I'm to be first. That's the first one. This second one that we're looking at tonight is found in verses 4 through 6. That's what we'll be studying. I've entitled it American Idols, just for the fun of it. But idols, idols is what we're going to look at tonight. So let's pray. We'll pray for Hawaii and our nation real quick, and then we'll get into the Word. Father, I thank you that we can come before you and, and with requests. We request for our nation, uh, the, the godless laws that are being passed nationally and, and in, in this state. We pray that, that you would help us defeat this AB uh, 29, whatever it is, Lord, that you would help us to defeat it as, as your sons and daughters, that we would do it lovingly, but we would do it by speaking out. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, take this law and bury it. And um, Father, we thank you for uh, what's going on in our nation. We ask, God, that you give wisdom to our president and Congress. Even though there's fighting, Lord, there's wonderful things happening, and we pray that you would encourage the vice president, a Christian, our brother in Christ, and, and save our president. We pray that you would save his soul, that he would repent of his sin, Lord. But we, we do thank you for what's going on, and we also ask, God, for the citizens of Hilo, for the brothers and sisters in Christ, for our pastor our, and, and fellow believer, Ron Brav in Calvary Hilo, that you would help them as they design a plan to uh, help the people there, to minister the gospel. And uh, Lord, I, I just ask that you'd help us as a fellowship to know exactly what to do, as I've already volunteered some help. I just pray, Lord, that you would help my brother as he meets with, with the rapid response team from Billy Graham's organization, as they meet with Ron and other pastors. Lord, give them wisdom so they can touch people in their time of great need, in fear and trembling, Lord, that they would, they would uh, know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So we pray for those things. And tonight, Lord, we, we just commit our time to study to you. We pray that you would teach us much, that your word would speak to us, and that we, as your children, would understand the truth of this second commandment, no idols. Teach us, we pray, in Jesus. Amen. Okay, so let's read together, beginning in verse 1, and we'll just kind of get a running start up to verses 4 through 6. But God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. 
You shall have no gods before me. No other gods before me. Commandment number one. Commandment number two, verse four. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord, Yahweh, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation to those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me, and to those who keep my commandments. I love verse 6, and we'll get there. But first, I want you to notice... Commandment number one, I'll put it up on the screen here, no other gods. That's commandment number one. Commandment number two, no idols of any kind. No idols of any kind. Look at verse four, you shall not bow to them nor serve them. Again, the laws, the commandments are very straightforward. They don't take a lot of reading to understand what they mean. They're, they're brief, they're direct, and then they have some explanation like we'll get tonight. There's some why in the following verses. But again, these, this first giving of, of the law was really broken by this second law when the people did something that you all know. And so I want to show you here in Deuteronomy 4, and then we're going to look at another passage to give context to this law. Um, again, in Deuteronomy 4, the, Deuteronomy means the second Duo, duet, duo two, the second giving of the law. The law had to come a second time to these stubborn, stick-necked Israelites here, just like you and I, by the way. But the, the law came twice. And in Deuteronomy 4, the second time, there's a little more description. Notice behind me on the screen. Take careful heed to yourselves. For you saw, listen very carefully, you saw no form when the Lord spoke to you at Horeb. That's Mount Sinai. You saw no form of God, what, would, what did they experience when they were there? You remember? There was like Hilo, clouds. It was like a volcano, earthquakes, noise, thunderings. When Moses was on Mount Sinai, the people were down in the valley just like <gasps> freaking out because of all the noise. And so listen to what the writer says here. This is Moses again, but he says, when you were there, you saw no form of the Lord when he spoke to you out of the midst of the fire, lest you act corruptly, and then make for yourself a carved image in the form of a figure. The likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that's on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air. It goes on and on, fish of the sea and all those kinds of things. But here's the point. The point is not you didn't see God, so don't make false gods. That's not the point here. It's you've never seen me, and so don't make any visual image and worship it and think that it's me. That's the point here. That's what this is all about. God's first law is no other gods. is about his exclusive relationship with us. His second law, no idols, no images of me or any gods. God does not want us to have any picture in our minds of who he is because we'll start to worship that and we'll make up our own God. Isn't that man's propensity to worship his own God? To make a God he can worship, I mean, that's what all the cults are all about. They make a God who they can worship and make a God they can live with. God does not want any images made. Now, people misunderstand this law. Christians and non-Christians, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, 
They take this to mean that God condemns any type of photography. You can ask a Jehovah's Witness, can I take your picture? They'll run. If you want to see them leave your front door, get your camera and say, I'll take a picture of you. They'll run. Why? Because they take this literally to mean that you can't take a picture. They don't have family pictures. Sad, isn't it? They don't celebrate birthdays. They don't do those things. But they've really twisted this law. They don't understand it. And I think Christians have done the same thing. There are some Christians that, excuse me, I have a runny nose tonight. There are some Christians that, that believe art, any picture of God, any art, any, any a carved statue. Boy, that would have been hard in Greece. We were going in churches in Rome. You go, there's more churches in Rome than days in the year. I think there's a thousand of them. And each one of them has all these pictures because in the old days, people couldn't read, so they would put pictures up, the stories of the Bible. So they're in all their churches. And a lot of Jesus figures and a lot of Mary figures in these Catholic churches there in Rome. But there are Christians that say, you know, they've, they've kind of been a, a Catholic and they've worshipped the idols, and then they've kind of withdrawn from that, and they've gotten saved, and so they've kind of gone too far the other way and decided that I'm not going to look at any picture. I'll just not, I'll look away. I won't look at any art. I won't look at any pictures. There are Christians that have actually done that. Again, when you add to the Word of God, you're in trouble. Okay, so we don't want to add to the word of God and put all these man-made laws. That's what the Pharisees did, right, when we're going through Mark. The Pharisees did it all the time. We don't want to add to God. We want to take his word. We want to take it seriously and believe what it says. Again, I draw your attention to verse 4 of chapter 20 here in Exodus. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or the water under the earth. Verse 5, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God. So that's why he gives you that reason there. Don't make any representation of me. That's what God is ordering. That's what he's saying. I don't want anything, any visual, any picture, you could say, of me there. This commandment was given, I believe, as a sole uh, preventative from man of inventing some kind of idol that people would start to worship, an image of, of God, the true God, which didn't have an image or form when he came and visited them. It's, it's a very interesting um, truth about God. He is invisible. He's never been seen. And again, from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, you'll find this to be true. God is invisible. He's never been seen. But we've seen him. How so, Pastor Lee? We've seen him in Jesus Christ. It's amazing, isn't it? It's wonderful. But in the Old Testament, no idols of any kind and no idols, my point here, no idols of me. No idols of me. Now, you might be thinking tonight, you might think, well, Pastor Lee, I'm kind of going to check out right now. I'm kind of tired. and I've never worshipped an idol, so this Bible study has nothing to do with me. I've haven't really been exposed to idol worship. So can we move on to commandment number three? Well, no, because we need context. Again, where were these people for 400 years? Where were they? In Egypt. What did they do in Egypt? They worshiped a pantheon of gods. And they've been there 400 years. Their, their great, 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 great grandparents, their great, great grandparents, they all were exposed to all the idol worship in Exodus, now in, ex, in uh, Egypt, I should say. Now I want you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 32. We're going to jump 40 days in the future. 
because I want to give context to this law here. The people are at Mount Sinai. Moses has been up on the mountain for days, for days, for weeks. He's been up there. And the people have been down in the bottom of the mountain. They're shaking like, what's going on? There's more earthquakes, more fire, more eruption, more thunder, more fear in all the people. They're restless. They're wondering what happened to their leader. He's been gone for weeks now. They're worried. They're fearful. So they ask Moses' brother Aaron, the second in charge here, to make some little image of God. And Aaron foolishly, under pressure, I believe, I truly believe that Aaron's a good guy. I believe he was put under pressure. I believe his life was threatened. I believe this mass of people came up to him and said, we want something to worship. And I, I, I truly believe that. As I read the text, there's no uh, words that would indicate that, but I believe that he was threatened and he foolishly complies. So Aaron asks them to bring all their gold stuff. Remember at the end of their captivity in Egypt, God divinely made the people of Egypt give their gold to the children of Israel. That's part of his blessing for all the years they had stayed in captivity. They, they, they gave them all their, because the people in Egypt, they wanted those Israelites gone. They just lost their firstborn. They, we want these people out of here. So they paid them off. They gave them their gold. And so now Aaron says, okay, give me your gold earrings. Give me your gold stuff. That's what he's really saying here. And he's going to cast all this gold into the shape of a golden calf. So these people have seen all these golden images. That's the, the point here. They've continually complained about Moses and his leadership. There's not enough water. There's not enough food. I mean, every time you turn around, these people are complaining about something. And now they, they've been wanting to go back to Egypt now, now. They want a visual representation of what they were used to when they were there in Egypt. Do you understand? It, this all fits together. So let's read together, beginning in verse 1 of Exodus 32. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come make us gods that we shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't even know what's become of him. And Aaron said to them, break off the golden earrings which are in your ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand. And he, Aaron, fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molten calf. Then they, they said, yeah, this is interesting, it wasn't a bull, it wasn't a fish, it wasn't, it's just a blob. It's a calf. It's not a bull. It's, it's a little. It's a small idol. Uh, again, this indicates to me that Moses, or Aaron doesn't really want to do this. I think Aaron is threatened. I, I, th I think Aaron knows he's doing the wrong thing, but it, he's going along with the crowd. They all want this. So he makes a little golden calf. And then they said, this is your God. Notice it's they. It's not Aaron. Oh, here, here's the God, and they start passing it around. They start telling others, it, it's here, it's here, the God we're going to worship. They said that uh, th this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So they've made an image of who? Not a Molech and not a Baal. They've made an image of God who led them out of Egypt. They've made a, an image of him. And Aaron 
proclaimed, he saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early. So now they're doing just what they did when they were in Egypt, the same kinds of things. They're going to offer to it. They're going to have an off, uh, this, this altar before it. They brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat, drink, and rose up to what? Play. So they have a feast, and a lot of the feasts are about that. They party. and they're, they're, So they feast, and then they party here. Now, when I look at this, these people are so out of control. Wouldn't you agree? They're just out of control. And Aaron, yes, he's wrong in making an image. He's wrong in building this little altar. But I, I believe he's afraid. He's confused. Trying to control the mass of people. There's millions. He's trying to control them all by giving them what they want. They want this false god. But this is a false god or false picture of the real and true god. And we know that because God has no physical image. He's not in the physical. He's a completely invisible God. And just think about it for just a moment. Every picture that you've ever seen as a little one, growing up maybe in Sunday school like I did, every picture that's ever been depicted of God, even Jesus, that's, I mean, nobody has a Polaroid and there's no snapshot of Jesus, but I mean, he's always just really great looking. Wouldn't you agree, ladies? I mean, his eye color, his hair is perfect. His robe is not disheveled. And when all the pictures, even in the one on the, the one that I showed you from Rembrandt last Sunday morning, you know, where Jesus was in the boat, you know, he's like in the boat, you know, in the robe and the hair. And, I mean, the depictions, they're not even real. The Bible actually says Jesus was not good looking. It actually says that in the Old Testament. There's no beauty that we should desire him, it says in Isaiah. He's, not, he's comely, the Bible says, very ordinary, which kind of makes me feel good. I think I'm kind of ordinary myself. So he would fit right into this, this crowd right here in Calvary, San Bernardino. But any visual that we have of God fails to represent God. That's the point of this whole law. God does not want anything to be worshipped because it's not true. And God wants to be worshipped because of who he is, his nature, his character. And his nature and character is not like a man, not like an animal, not like anything in this world. God is so otherworldly. And here's the application to this thus far. We see pictures. We read the scriptures. And, and the scriptures give the proper declaration of who God is, but the pictures never do. It's the scriptures that God wants us to read and rely upon. It's his word and what he's declared about who he is. See, God again has revealed, it's called revelation, he's revealed who he is to us. How has he done that? Does he do it by peeling the clouds back and sticking his face out? Does he do it by some kind of osmosis. No, he does it with his word. It's the word of God that declares who he is and what he's done. If we want to get a proper picture of God, it's not an idol we look to, but it's the word of God. It's the word of God that gives us a perfect illustration, a, a perfect definition of who he is, his character, his nature, his love, his mercy, his forgiveness. And that's what we want. We want that. 
We want to read his word. We want to understand. And that's what God wants for us. He does not want us to worship an image. He wants us to worship him and his character. He's the Lord of heaven. He's the Lord of all the earth. He's the glorious king of kings and Lord of lords, not like anything else on this planet. The problem with idolatry for us is there's two ways to commit it. Let me just throw these out at you. Number one, when you worship an image, you're worshiping something other than what God really is. Do you understand that? We can't worship an image in any shape, way, or form. Or, number two, you can worship the one true God the way you want him to be and not the way he wants to be worshipped. The Bible declares how God is going to be worshipped. That's what he's doing right now with his people, the Ten Commandments. He's telling them exactly who he is and how he wants to be worshipped. This is how I want you to, to live before me. This is how I want you to worship me. That's what this is all about. Now, me, as a believer, I've always loved hearing the truth of God's word taught. It's not what a man says. And I love many of the teachers that Calvary has produced. I love to hear Craig Laurie. I love to hear Raul Reese. I love to hear David Rosales, some of my favorite teachers. I've always had my favorite David Guzik. And yet, as I hear them speak the word of God, it's the word of God that fills me up. And I'm hoping that on Wednesday nights, you're being built up with the word of God. That's the whole purpose, Ephesians chapter 4, the church. So the body is built up. So you as an individual have, can grow and be mature and, and, and live out the, the abundant Christian life that God has provided for you and for me. And so God prohibits in this one commandment, he bans two things. Number one, he bans us from making any images of either false gods or of him, the true God. And number two, he forbids us or bans us from making up ways that we're comfortable to worship God. Isn't it just like us to think about God and, you know what, God loves me and even though I sin, he, he loves my sin. And, and, and it's, it's comfortable for me to worship a God that I create in my own mind. And God doesn't want you to do that. That's idol worship, by the way. Idol worship is not just bowing down before an image or having a Buddha in your house could be that. But idol worship is when you make your own God in your own mind. It's a dangerous thing, Christian. Hear and, and listen to what the Word of God is saying here. It's so, so important. Because think about it. If you can, if you can think about God any way you want to think about Him, other than His greatness and His power, and his, then you're going to make yourself know God. And you put yourself above God, don't you? I know about God. I know what he is. I know what he does. I'm good. You know, let's go eat lunch. That's a dangerous place, Christian. We need to revere his name next week. We need to revere his name. We need to realize that he is not like any other. He's not my best buddy. He's not Papa upstairs. He's Jehovah God. He's the Lord. He's the King. So we need to understand these. So It's so important for us. We cannot make up our own God and worship him the way we want to. Otherwise, you're going to worship an idol because he's not going to be the idol you form in your own mind. I mean, I, I'm sorry to offend anyone, but you, and that includes me, 
How can my puny little mind even wrap itself around an, an all-existing, all-powerful God? How, how can I do that? But men do that. Men, meaning men and women, do that all the time. It's important to understand because as Christians, we are identified by who we worship. It's who we worship. It's who we exalt. It's who we study. It's the God of the Bible, and we're known, we're identified by who we worship. So we better know who we're worshiping, and we better be worshiping God and not a God that we ourselves have made. It's who you worship that determines what you become. And so God says, you must only worship me the way I told you in my word. That's really what he's saying. There's one way to worship me. Paul in Colossians says this, notice, all things were created through him and for him. You are created for God. You're created for him. You need to worship him the way he wants to be worshipped. And God desires that everyone have this exclusive relationship with him. No other gods. Remember commandment number one. No other gods before me. He wants to have that relationship with you and with me. But God doesn't want us giving our devotion to false gods. He doesn't want us to make up our own image of who he is. And Christian, I hope that the Holy Spirit has is, is brought conviction tonight to all of us because I believe we do it. We all do it. God loves me for who I am. God accepts me. And you start building a God that you've just eliminated some of the sin, your struggle in your life. You've eliminated it because if you have to include that, then you have to admit that you're a sinner. You are a sinner to the core. It's an idol to make God into something he is not. That's the point of this text here. The truth is that as a New Testament believer, I have the eternal God living in me right now. I have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Every one of you that has received Christ, repented of their sin, and received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, every one of you that have been born again by a work of God, not your work, but God's work, you have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And we don't need an image to lead us to worship God, because we have the Holy Spirit to lead us in worship. That's why we spend time worshiping before the service. That's why sometimes you feel emotional. Sometimes because you're coming before the living God. Our worship team, they love God. That's my responsibility as the, worship, as the pastor of this church to make sure that those guys are true. They're not phony. They're not, they might sin. They might struggle. They might like all of us, you know, we, we go through times of, but, but they really do love God. They're born again. They've proven that. We have a person. We have the Holy Spirit in us. Here it is. Jesus said in John 6, 13, however, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. That's fantastic reality. You have the living God in you, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the triunity God that we love and serve, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You have him in your life, and God commands no idols of any kind. God commands no idols of me. That's what this law is about. Now, 
Here's the application or why. Here's the why as we get to verse 5. Look at verse 5 and 6. We see these reasons why God bans or prohibits his people from bowing down to idols. Number one, idols don't reveal God's true character. That's what I've been saying here, but I want to illustrate it with this text. Nothing that a human can create can ever match the enormity, the immensity of, of God, of our creator. Augustine said this, I love this quote, idolatry is worshiping anything that ought to be used or using anything that ought to be worshiped. That's an interesting quote. Images, pictures, statues, or the God in your mind, put God in a box. They put him in a box. God is not in a box. That's a little teeny God. If you're worshiping that kind of God, the God that you can figure out, the God that only serves you, the God that you've created, you're worshiping an idol. It's not the true and living God. Don't put God in a box. See God is in all his glory. Worship him for who he really is, the creator, the, the enormity of that. The, that's why worship is so vitally important to the church. With every move of God throughout church history, there's always a move of music. It's, it's documented everywhere. There's always a music, move of music. In the 70s, it was the Jesus people and, and Calvary Chapel and Maranatha music and all those songs that we were singing. Yes, God was, was being exalted in, in hymns and those kind of things, but God moved in a mighty way. I'm glad he did. I, I, I mean, I love musicianships, but pianos kind of bore me to tears. They're wonderful, and hymns are, I'm going to sing two hymns tomorrow at a funeral. I love hymns. I love them. But boy, when I heard the, the mu music and, and I began to sing it, I began to worship God, the great God, the great and powerful God that we know and we serve. J.B. Phillips wrote a book 60 years ago. I have it in my library. Your God is Too Small is the title. And it describes caricatures that Christians make of God, like God like Santa Claus who goes around and gives free gifts out. Or God is a stern and, and strict father. That's not God. Or God as an impersonal clockmaker or a killjoy. None of those views depict the true God, describe the true God that we know and serve. Again, God has become what people think he is and, and in their mind they've made an idol. We're not to make an idol. We have to be very careful that we don't. Someone said this. Here's another quote that I'll put up. You can safely assume You've created God in your own image when it turns out that, the God that that God hates all the same people you do. Isn't that interesting? When we make the image, we control the image. When we make God into something in our minds, we control God. That's not God, right? That's not God. There's danger here. There's warning here for uh, so number one, number one, idols don't reveal God's true character. Number two, idols don't reveal God's passion for his people. I love this in this verse. Look at verse five at the end. For I, the Lord, your God, am a passionate God. I'm a jealous God. I love you. You're mine. I want you. That's what that means, jealous God. 
when you think of jealous, some of you ladies in here, when you think of jealous, it's kind of negative, right? You think of jealousy in that negative or wrong way. The Hebrew word kana really has the idea of warm feelings, warm feelings. God wants us to understand that he has a, a burning, passionate desire for you, and he loves you so much he's jealous for you and for your love. Now, if that doesn't bless your heart tonight, you're tired. You're probably sleeping right now, and I'm yelling to wake you up. <laughs> but it's so true. God loves you. He has, he's passionate about you. He's jealous, it says here. He's a jealous God. He's fully committed to us. And therefore, he requires that you be fully committed to him. Oh, Christian, I love hearing the truth of God's word. I love the truth of these words here. God is jealous, and he gives you his undivided attention. And that's what he wants from you, complete devotion to him. That means when we give our complete devotion to someone else instead of God, when we get passionate about a, a hobby or, or a pursuit in our life instead of God, that becomes our idol. Do you hear it? Do you understand? God wants our full and complete devotion to him, his passion, his kana, is ignited when he sees you, he loves you, he's passionate about his people, he wants them to be pure, he wants them to be holy, so he gives them 10 rules for living a successful life, they're all positive, again, as I've said earlier, and also throughout the Bible, when you read the Old Testament, there's a, a beautiful picture of marriage throughout the Old Testament, God and his people. Marriage is something that is very sacred. But in the scriptures, it's as if God is married to his people Israel. He loves them. He's passionate about them. He's jealous for their affection and their uncompromising commitment to him. And idolatry is when they turn away, like in Hosea, they turn away and they commit spiritual adultery. You've heard that before, right? We see that over and over again in the text. Jesus used that very thought when speaking to the Pharisees. You can go ahead and turn those lights on so they can see. Matthew 12, verse 39, here it is behind me on the screen. But he answered and said to them, this is Jesus, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So you're an adulterous generation. You've committed spiritual adultery against me. I love you, but you've turned against me. So God, he's jealous. He's passionate. He, his love is it's like a fire burning for each and every one. He loves them. So because, because of God's jealousy and his passionate love for his people, there are idol worshipers now. They're going to face consequences. Here's my next point. True idol worshipers are going to face consequences, and they're found right here in these verses as, as we kind of wrap this up. Number one, in punishment. There's a consequence of punishment. Look at verse 5. You shall not bow down before them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers, the sin of the fathers, the idolatry of the fathers on the children of the third, fourth generation of those who hate me. That word iniquity is avo, avo in the Hebrew, and it really has to do with something that's been twisted or depraved. 
Sin has twisted, iniquity has twisted man. Uh, Adam and Eve, their iniquity just bent them and twisted them. And we all have the Adamic nature. It's the sin nature. The word sin in the New Testament, harmatia, in the New Testament Greek, it means to miss the mark. You've missed the mark of God's perfection. You've missed it. You haven't hit it. You've missed it. So you have, you have avon in the Hebrew. You have harmatia in the Greek. They both mean twisted, miss the mark. They both have to do with sin. And God holds responsible the sinner. The sinner is held responsible. They've missed the mark. They've sinned. And notice here, for those that have sinned, verse 5, they're punished, notice, the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. So not just the fathers that trained, but the kids that learned. The fathers hate God. They've made idols. And their kids follow and say, you can turn these lights on on the wings. Oh, they won't go on. Oh, okay. Wow. That's interesting. That's just that little demon on that side of the room. <laughs> and so God has, he's forbidden. He's forbidden his people to worship these idols. And he's punishing those that worship idols the, on the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation because... Here's the reason, fathers, parents, here's a great application for you. What you teach your kids, you're going to be held accountable for. And if you don't teach them to love God and they hate God, they're going to be punished. Wow. Do you hear the warning here in the scriptures? If you worship an idol, your kids and grandkids and great-grandkids are going to pay the price. That's what God is saying here. So moms and dads, this is a huge, huge scripture for you, decisions that you're making now to either teach your children the Bible or take them to sporting events, to spend more time in the scriptures and bring them to church and, and do spiritual instruction or academics. And then as they grow, as they grow and they move away from God because they only got 20 minutes of God each week and they got 40 hours of academics every week. As they grow older and they, they, they behave the way they learned, they learn that. And now they despise God. And who taught them that? Their parents. That's the, the punishment there. For the next hundred years, that's what's incredible about this text. A good example is King Ahaz in 2 Chronicles 28. Ahaz actually made idols, but his... His father, it was his father that really led him in all those, King Uzziah. And you can find that in 2 Chronicles 28. But here's the verse here in 2 Chronicles 28. He burned incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and he burned his children in the fire. He, he actually sacrificed his kids to a false god, the king of Israel. That's where we go. And when you go there, the whole nation suffers. The family suffers. The nation suffers as well. His father, King Uzziah, he started out really good if you read about him, but then he started to compromise. And it was in his compromise that he failed. And then his son goes down even further and, worship, and he worships a false god with burning his children in the fire. Unbelievable. But that's where it goes. So God warns people, number one, that there's going to be punishment. Number two, that there's a promise. Here's, here's where it gets really good. 
but showing mercy to thousands, verse 6, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, this promise is powerful. Wouldn't you agree? This is a powerful promise that God is making. It's way more powerful than the punishment that goes from generation to generation. God is saying here that he is going to, instead of punishing for a couple generations, he's going to show his mercy to thousands. Don't you love that? God's mercy and his grace is always greater than his judgment. We know God because of his grace and mercy and not because of his judgment. But his love, the love of God, showing mercy to thousands. And that word mercy, a wonderful word, kindness, goodness, favor, love. It's a wonderful word. He's saying that if you keep his commandments, he'll show you mercy. He'll show mercy to your wife and your children. He'll show mercy to your, chil- your, your grandkids, your family. He'll show mercy to them. Doesn't this sound a lot like what Jesus said? Here's a quote from John 14. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, just, just obey. If you really love me, it proves that God wants to show mercy. Our God is a loving God. He wants to dispense his mercy more than he wants to judge sinners. He wants all to come to repentance. Now, here's the application. It's how we apply this commandment, no idols, in our daily lives. Number one, understand that God is the Lord. He has absolute power and control whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not. God is in control. And we need to submit ourselves to a great, wonderful, powerful, loving, and merciful God. We need to submit ourselves to him. Number two, Be careful, because anything can become an American idol. Anything. Anything can become an idol. And you can make an idol of God in your mind. Be very careful, Christian. So what will protect you and I from that? Reading God's Word. Let Him define who He is. Read His Word. Read it daily. Think about it all day long. Think about how great God is. And don't allow that. Don't, Don't make a false image of God in your mind. And then parents, here's great application. Your children need to hear and see, and they're going to copy everything you do. Are you praying before them? Are you praying in front of them audibly, verbally? Are you holding their hands at the dinner table and praying with them? It's really important that you pray, that they see you praying as well. What they see you do, maybe you should stop doing it. (laughs) Be very careful. And what you need to be doing, maybe maybe you should start doing those things even tonight. And finally, we all have a desire to see God. Remember what Philip said. Jesus, just just show us the Father and we'll be happy. We'll we'll get it. Remember? And this is what Jesus told him in closing. Philip, have I been so long with you and yet you don't know me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Jesus, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the one that we love and serve. He's the one that we exalt in our worship. Why do you guys worship Jesus so much? Because he is the living God. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. He's our Master. And when you turn from your sin and you turn to Jesus Christ and receive him into your life, That's when God changes everything. 
transforming you and giving you a life to live for him. No other gods, no idols. Next week, next week, be careful what you say about God. Let's pray.